Right, everyone should have their Bibles at the ready. And uh, on with the demonology series. And uh, I've had a devil of a job preparing tonight's one. Well, I think we're getting into the spirit now. Right, okay. Now then. Last time, you'll remember, uh, we touched upon the fact that um, at the time of Jesus, the religious leaders, the Jews, had a particular method of casting out evil spirits. And the Jews believed in demons, and they knew that you could be set free from them. Uh, but there was a particular way that they did it at the time of Jesus. And... Um, and the form it took is they believed that demons had names and that in order to cast a demon out of somebody, you had to establish two-way contact with it. So you had to get in a conversation, right? establish what its name was and then cast the thing out using its name. And uh, we saw last time, we touched on the fact that that was why that if you had a deaf and dumb spirit or a dumb a dumb spirit, i.e. an evil spirit that would not speak and would not permit the person to speak, uh, that the Jews couldn't cast that out because obviously it wouldn't talk to them. So they couldn't find its name out. They couldn't, you know, converse with it. Boom, boom. And that's why uh, the casting out of that type of spirit was designated to be a messianic miracle, i.e. only Messiah would be able to cast one such demon out. So basically, um, the deliverance ministry at the time of Jesus amongst Israel was basically to get a demon out, you had to establish what its name was and to kick it out, cast it out using its name. Now, that's an important point because it's more than mere history. And it's important because that method of casting demons out is the one that the charismatic movement today is still adopting. You will find that that method of finding out what the demon's name is and, and casting it out, sort of using its name, that that is the way that very many Christians today go about casting evil spirits out of people. And if you look at the teachings of people like Derek Prince, and Bill Sabritsky and all the others, you'll find that this is the standard procedure. So basically, Christians today, usually when they're casting demons out of people, they adopt the method that was current in Judaistic belief at the time of Jesus. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to ascertain from the Bible whether or not that was the correct way of doing it and whether or not that is the way that we're supposed to be doing it today. And so basically we're going to ask a question tonight and it's this, do demons have names? That's the question we're going to address tonight. Now, all these things, it's very important, you know, the Bible says that your yes be yes and your no be no. So in answering the question, do demons have names, my answer is unequivocal. It's possibly. <laughs> they possibly have names. You see, it depends on what you mean. Now, let me explain, all right. Demons are simply angels. Demons, unclean spirits, synonymous terms, evil spirits, are simply 
fallen angels. And we know from the Bible for a fact that at least two of the goody angels have names because we're told what their names are, and it's Michael and Gabriel. Go to Luke chapter 1. Let's actually see this. Luke chapter 1. <coughs> and this is when Mary is being told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Luke chapter 1 and verse 19. And uh, this is the angel speaking to Zechariah. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So there we have at least one angel, albeit a goody one, not a demon, but one angel with a name and his name is Gabriel. Now go to Jude, the book of Jude, and we'll just see old Michael. We'll be back to Michael in later studies, but we'll just have a quick look at him now. Jude and verse 9, we simply get this. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce reviling judgment upon him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Uh, now, you'll remember uh, in talk one, I said that there are two other tapes that we did a long time ago, a two tape set, the Spiritual Universe series. And, you know, I've kind of said, do get those if you haven't heard them, because they'll complete the bits we're not doing. And on those tapes, I go into that verse and what it's all about. But the thing that we want here is simply that the archangel is called Michael. So then, do demons have names? Well, demons are angels, and we know of at least two goody angels who have names. Because the Bible tells us that there's one called Gabriel, and there's one called Michael. So, it's a possibility that every angel, and this would include demons because demons are angels, it's a possibility that every angel has a personal name as do each of us. Now, if that's the case, that angels have personal names, that would include demons. We know that Satan's acquired name is Satan. Right, simply means the adversary. But his former name was Lucifer, which means bringer of light. So demons may well, as with angels, all right, the goody angels, they may well have their own personal equivalents of Beresford, Dave, Percy, Montmorency, etc., etc. They may well do. But the important thing to grasp is this. Nowhere in the Bible are any such names should they exist, revealed to us, all right? So what we've got so far, and this is why I said do demons have names? Well, possibly, it depends what you mean. They may well have personal names, Michael, Gabriel, but if they do, and I'm not saying they definitely do, but I'm saying if all of them have personal names, the Bible gives us no hint what they are at all. So, therefore, do demons have personal names? Possibly, but forget it, irrelevant, because the Bible doesn't touch on it at all. Okay, 
So what that leaves us with is this, and this is the real question. Because when you get people today casting demons out of people, they're not doing the equivalent of, oi, you, Fred, you know, out in the name of Jesus. All right, that's not the names that they go for anyway. We're not dealing with personal names in that sense. What we're asking tonight is, do demons take any other names for themselves? such as particular sins that they cause people to do or the effect they have on them, all right? So really what we're dealing with tonight, and last week we saw some of the false teaching and you remember that I just, you know, sort of showed you some of the lists of individual demons that have been identified supposedly and, uh, you know, I sort of showed you that Bill Sabritsky, you know, is, 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 is 300 plus, all right? Um, so what we're dealing with tonight is this whole thing of demons of this, that and the other. That is the question we're looking at. Now, so far in the Old Testament, in the first talk, we covered one verse that pertains to this, all right? And do you remember it was the story about when God sent a lying spirit into the mouth of a false prophet to deceive someone who was under his judgment, all right? So that's in 1 Kings 22, verse 21 and 23. We're not going to turn to it. But what we had there was a demon stepped forward to the Lord and said, I will go as a lying spirit, okay? So just chalk that up, a lying spirit. Now, there are no other verses in the Old Testament that establish anything on this at all, all right? But what we're going to do now, okay, is we're actually going to cover every verse in the New Testament that contains the word spirit as an evil spirit or demon or demons, the singular or the plural. So what we're going to do now is we're going to scoot through the whole of the New Testament. But bear in mind one of the things I said in the first talk. The Bible doesn't say very much about demons at all, so this isn't going to be too difficult to do. All right. One of the things we've noted up is that a lot of people supposedly know an awful lot more about demons than the Bible tells them. The Bible doesn't say very much about it, but we're going to go through every verse in the New Testament. Now, while we're doing this, I want you to bear three questions in mind. And the three questions are this. Do demons have names, i.e. spirit of this, that and the other, all right? Do they have names? First question. Second question, are we meant to find out their names in order to cast them out? And thirdly, are we meant to converse with them during the process of casting them out in any way at all? I'll go through those questions again. Do they have names? <coughs> are we meant to find out their names in order to cast them out? And three, are we meant to have any two-way conversation with them at all? And in going through all the verses in the New Testament that pertain to this, whatever information we've got in the Bible about the manner of casting demons out, we're going to see it tonight. And thereby going to answer these questions. All right. Now, we'll go through this systematically. So start in Matthew. In Matthew. And as you're going to see, a lot of the verses that we're going to cover tonight really don't tell us anything one way or the other. 
First of all, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. The reason I'm doing this, hard work it may well be, and possibly a little bit laborious, but it's simply the fact that by the time we've ended this course, well, in fact, by the time we finish tonight's talk, you will have been through and looked at every verse in the New Testament that pertains to it, you see. So that, that's why we're doing it. So you've got all the data from which you can draw, obviously, your own conclusions. Now, then, first of all, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. So Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, obviously talking here about people who had demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now there, you've simply got a kind of a verse that covers the general ministry of Jesus, which quite simply tells us that Jesus cast demons out of people. But can you see, there's no information, we can't learn anything about these questions one way or the other from that. Now for those of you taking notes, Similar verses which say exactly the same thing occur in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 32 to 39, chapter 3, verse 7 to 11, and then again in Luke's Gospel, because of course, you know, the Gospels written by different people, they covered similar things and they came up with their own sort of, you know, sort of like you know, accounts of the things that happened. And uh, in Luke, chapter 4, verse 40 to 41, chapter 6, verse 18, and chapter 7, verse 21. Now, all those verses, all right, they're all just like this. They are simply statements that as Jesus went about, uh, he'd heal the sick, blah, 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 and he would, you know, cast things out of people. But none of those verses give us any information whatsoever about how Jesus cast it or anything. They're just statements that Jesus cast out demons along with everything else that he was doing. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, next. Chapter 7, verse 22. Um, a verse that again tells us absolutely nothing, but we're going to cover it because it's got the word demons in it. And uh, this is quite simply, um, well, let's start from verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And if that verse is still baffling anyone, the salvation series is for you, right? So, there's that verse done. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, next chapter, and verse 16. Chuck this one down, uh, just another of these general statements, all right? Um, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, right? Um, so again, that doesn't tell us very much, but uh, Jesus cast the demons out with the word, all right? You know, we weren't here talking about three-hour sessions, were we? He cast them out with a word. Um, go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we'll start reading from verse 32. As they were going away, a dumb demoniac was brought to him, 
Now, this would be one of the ones that would constitute for Israel, according to their leaders' teachings, a messianic miracle. And when the demon had been cast out, the dumb man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. You see, that's the reaction of the crowd. So, wow, this is a messianic miracle. But the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Now, this was the first time that Jesus was actually called demonic by the leaders of the day, all right? But again, doesn't tell us very much that verse, but we've covered it. It's important that we do. Uh, chapter 10. And uh, in verses 1 to 8, uh, we have the commissioning of the Twelve, when Jesus, you know, says, this is what you're going to do. Uh, I think we'll just, um, we'll just start from verse 5. These Twelve Jesus sent out, charging them, go nowhere amongst the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay. Okay? And uh, the parallel passages to that, um, in Mark, you'll find them in chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, chapter 6, verse 7 to 13, and in Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Now then, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 18. And this is uh, Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. And he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a glutton and a drunkard. So again, a verse that has the word demon in, so it's important that we cover it. Um, that was when, when John the Baptist got accused of being demonised. Jesus got accused of being demonised. Believe me, what you conclude in the Bible is that anyone who's really used by God gets accused of being demonised. It, it was a standard, standard procedure. And uh, you'll find that story repeated in Luke 7, verse 33. Uh, now, Matthew, Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse, verse 22. We'll, we'll read through this. There's quite a, a lot here. Um, in these verses that we're going to read now, as indeed some of the others that we're going to move on to, there's more, there's information in them that we're not going to glean tonight. We will be back to them in later studies, all right? And this is one such example. Uh, let's start reading from verse 22. Then a blind and dumb demoniac was brought to him. So again, the same kind of messianic miracle set up. And he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? You see, their, their reaction, Christ, son of David, one of the phrases for Messiah. It's Messiah, Messianic miracle. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Now, the approach that Jesus is taking here, he's cast a demon out, all right? He's performed what they 
sort of designated a messianic miracle. Jesus has helped someone that no one else believed they could help, right? And they've responded to him by saying, you're doing this by the power of Satan. Now, Jesus counters them by saying, well, it's a bit of a stupid notion, isn't it? Um, you know, sort of, you're saying Satan's empowering me, but I'm casting demons out. It's a bit stupid, isn't it? Satan doesn't fight against himself. And what Jesus said, if you can say that I'm doing this by the power of Satan, he says, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because the Jews used to cast demons out and the Pharisees used to. And Jesus says, well, if you're going to tell me that I'm casting them out by the power of Satan, what can you say when you do it? How do you know that you're not doing it by the power of Satan? And he's just throwing it back in their face and showing them how, how stupid it is. He says <coughs> in verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? then indeed he may plunder his house. We saw that last week. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now then, go down uh, now to verse 33. Sorry, not verse 33. Go down to verse 43. That's the one I want now. This is the end of the little spiel that Jesus is giving them here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest. Notice there a demon is called an unclean spirit. Demon, evil spirit, unclean spirit. As we're going to see elsewhere, the Bible at one point calls them foul spirits. All synonymous terms. Um, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest, but he finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and brings with him seven other spirits, more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So shall it also be with this evil generation. Now we'll be back to that lot in detail in um, a later study. But again, verses in there that talk about unclean spirits. So uh, we're covering them. Now, remember the questions again. Let's remind ourselves the questions that this is the data, the Bible supplies the data. We're going to take the data and we're going to try and answer the three questions. Do demons have names? Do you have to find out their names and use their names in casting them out? And are we meant to enter into two-way conversation with them in any way at all? These are the questions that we're asking. Now go to Matthew chapter 15 and find verse 21. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and cried, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, she's crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus was testing her there. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Canaanite. And Jesus was making out, all right, that, no, I'm only interested in helping the Jews. 
He was testing her faith. But she responded, I know you better than that, Lord. Of course you're going to help me. So that was the test. But nevertheless, there we have uh, an example there, in fact, of Jesus actually casting a demon out from a distance. Uh, the girl who was set free of this demon wasn't present. All right, So that one was done at a distance. Um, and you'll find that repeated in Mark chapter 7, verse 24 to 30. Oh, uh, that last one we did uh, about uh, when they told Jesus he was doing it by the uh, power of Satan. The other verses there in the other Gospels are Mark chapter 3, verse 22, and Luke 11, verse 14. So I don't want to miss those out. Um, now then, go to Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. <coughs> and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, this is Jesus, kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move hence to yonder place, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. That's a passage we will be back to in more detail in a later talk, all right? Uh, you'll find uh, Mark's account of that in uh, chapter 9, <coughs> verse 14 to 29, and uh, in Luke 9, verse 37 to 43. Right, now we move on into Mark's Gospel and uh, we'll now be covering stories or passages which only Mark or Luke or Mark alone recounts. Okay, now then, Mark chapter 1 <coughs> and this is an instant that Mark records and Luke records as we're going to see but Matthew didn't for whatever reason. Now then, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. As they went into Caper and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching? With authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And uh, Luke's version of that is in uh, chapter 4 and verse 31. 
Now then, let's go to Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5. And we want uh, the beginning, verse 1. Now then, we're bearing in mind the questions, do demons have names? In the process of casting them out, do you have to establish what their name is and use it to cast them out? And do you have any two-way conversation with them in the process? I.e., do you enter into conversation with evil spirits? Okay. Now, this one is going to be a bit of a wind-up until the end of this talk. Right, okay. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus came out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, even with a chain. For he had often been bound with fetters and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the fetters he broke in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not uh, torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him eagerly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, send us into the swine and let us enter them. So he gave them leave. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Now we're going to be back to that in more detail later on in this talk. The one thing I do want to say at this juncture, or there are two things. The first one is this. That account is also written by Matthew in chapter 8, verse 28, and in Luke, chapter 8, verse 26. Now, what I want to say is this. In the Mark account and in the Luke account, you read the story of one man. If you read the Matthew account, it's an account about two people. Impossible to establish whether it's two men or a man and a woman. So we've got a story which in two Gospels is said to be concerning one demoniac. In Matthew's account, it's two demoniacs. Now, this is one of the, uh, you know, kind of things that people point to. The Bible contradicts itself, all right? And I'm only bringing this up now because we're looking at the passage. And I'll say just simply this. It was quite normal uh, in the Jewish way of recording things, all right? If an event contained more than one person, all right, that they would record it as if it was one person. Not always, but sometimes. For instance, if it was a husband and wife, it would be quite normal for them to tell the story as if it was just the husband. Is it? That would have been quite normal. Also, if there were two demoniacs, and let's say they weren't husband and wife. They might have been. That would explain it. But possibly it could be that one of them was in a very much worse state than the other, 
or it was one of them that mainly related to Jesus during the course of the story. It was quite normal where something had two or three people involved, that if one of them came to the fore and was the main person involved, it would be recounted purely as if there was just one person. So it seems odd to us, we don't recall things like that, but it, it was a perfectly, I mean, it's like if I wrote something or recounted a story with Gary and Eve, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd talk about, you know, I'd say that they both came round. Uh, a Jewish historian or a Jewish thinker at the time of Jesus wouldn't. They wouldn't have referred to the wife. So, you know, I mean, there, there are various explanations. It's not a contradiction, it looks like one, but there are various explanations. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say on that. But the other thing I'm going to say about that story, all right, is that what I'm going to ask you to do is we've covered it because it's there and we're going to be back to it later. What I'm going to ask you to do, put it to one side for the time being, all right? If necessary, forget we just did it, but put it in a, 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 a box all on its own until the end of this talk and then you'll understand why, okay? Right, now the next one we want is... Uh, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, and verse 38. John said to him, I said Jesus, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon after that be able to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. Now, the situation here is quite simply, the 12 disciples were not the only ones who knew Jesus and who were following them. They, they were one particular tight-knit band around him. Now, what's happening here is they come across someone else who follows Jesus that they didn't know about. And this other follower of Jesus is casting demons out of people who had demons. Um, basically, you know, we got a bit of the old sectarian, you know, kind of attitude here because the disciples think, well, he's not one of us. He's not allowed to do that. And Jesus said, of course he is. He's doing that because he's following me. The fact that he's not in your little group doesn't matter, all right? So that's as simple as that. But we bung it in because it's got the word demons in it, all right? And uh, you'll find Luke's account of that in uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 49 and 15. Uh, now go to uh, Mark 16, the last chapter of Mark. Mark 16. And first of all, verse 9. Now when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Right? Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. Now, go down into verse 17, and this is Jesus commissioning the church. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues. So there you have it, Jesus commissioning the church to cast out demons. Right, that's Matthew and Mark done. Uh, there's nothing at all in John, absolutely nothing about this subject in John at all. Uh, evil spirits, demons aren't even mentioned in John's Gospel, so just Luke to go. And uh, go to Luke chapter 10. 
Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. And this was an occasion when Jesus gathered together a group of 70 people other than the 12 and sent them out. And we read, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Just Jesus bringing them down to earth a bit. Don't get too carried away with signs and wonders and demons and casting demons out. Keep your eyes on me. Keep rejoicing primarily that I've saved you, all right? Uh, now chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 10. <clears throat> now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and there was a woman who had had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. And he laid hands upon her and immediately she was made straight and she praised God. And the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it away to water? Then ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, this woman was a believer. When Jesus used the phrase daughter of Abraham, she was a believer in him, a disciple. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? All right? So here we have a story, a woman who had a spirit, and this spirit had caused whatever was wrong with her physically, this spirit had caused it. And uh, it's called here in the Bible, who, this woman had a spirit of infirmity, and she'd had it for 18 years. And Jesus uh, sets her free of it, casts it out. Right, now go, because there's nothing in John, now go to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles. Remember what we're after is all the data in the New Testament on the subject of casting out evil spirits so we can answer the questions that we asked earlier. Now then, Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high honour. And more than ever, believers rallied to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick onto the streets and laid them on beds and pallets, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So here we have the church casting evil spirits out of people who were demonized. Go into verse eight, uh, chapter eight. <coughs> chapter eight and verse four. This is uh, Philip, the evangelist, going down to Samaria. 
Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the multitudes with one accord gave heed to what was said by Philip when they had heard him and saw the signs which he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice. And many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Right, now go on to verse 16. Are you starting to see what I mean? That the Bible says very little about all this. Not very much at all. Very very low on available data. Acts chapter 16, and uh, this, this is old Paul here. Right, now then, let's, let's have a look at this. As we, because it was uh, Luke writing this, Luke is here recording a situation where he was actually with Paul. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by soothsaying. She followed Paul and us, crying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul was annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out that very hour. Now, just as a technical point, here we have the phrase, a spirit of divination. Uh, that isn't actually what it says in the Greek, all right? I'll give you the literal Greek, then explain it. It actually says in the Greek, a spirit of python. Now, actually, when you read some of these demonology books, you'll actually find that python spirits crop up, you know, and this is where they came from. But I just want to explain why it is okay. In Greek myth, Pytho was the name of the servant, serpent that guarded the Oracle of Delphi. The Oracle of Delphi, you know, Delphi was this, this, this great occult, you know, sort of like all the information you need supernaturally will come. And there was a serpent named Python who guarded it. So to get to the Oracle of Delphi, you had to get past this servant, this serpent, who was called Python. And the serpent was called Python because the oracle of Delph Delphi was outside a city called Pytho. So the serpent that guarded the oracle of Delphi, Delphi at Pytho was called Python, okay? I mean, this is Greek myth, not truth. It's just the mythology of the Greeks, okay? Now, Python, this serpent, was eventually slain by Apollo. Now what happened is because Apollo slained Python, which no one expected anyone would be able to do, all right, he slew the serpent. He was then renamed after the serpent. So Apollo, yeah, Apollo was renamed Python, all right? Now according to the Greeks, divining and telling the future and clairvoyance and all that occult stuff According to the Greeks, all that was inspired by Apollo. So if you were a spiritualist in ancient Greece, according to Greek mythology, it was Apollo himself who was enabling you to do that. He was the god who gave that power to people, all right? 
So Apollo was the god of divining and foretelling the future, all right. But Apollo had been renamed Python because he killed the serpent called Python. Therefore, in Greek culture, the word Python became a, sim a synonym for divining. So therefore, if you had someone who was divining, i.e. trying to find out the future, they were pythoning. Can you see? It's as simple as that. Python was simply the Greek word they used for divining, okay? So technically, in the Greek, this is a spirit of Python. But really, all that means was a spirit that was enabling someone to divine the future, to foretell the future via occult power. So a spirit of Python equals a spirit of divination, all right? Period. Simple as that. Now go on to verse 19, uh, sorry, chapter 19. Now, are you noticing uh, that even with the very little few details that we get, and the questions we're asking, do they have names? Do you have to find out the names and use the names to cast them out? And do you enter into two-way conversation? What we have seen, for instance, is Jesus telling the spirits to shut up and preventing them from speaking. Uh, when Paul cast this demon out, he just commanded it to come out. Really? Anyway, chapter 19. All this will be pulled skillfully together by the end of the talk. Chapter 19 and verse 11. And God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from the body to the sick, from his body to the sick, and diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now then, verse 13, we've got a very natty little story here. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So at the very least, that tells us that people who aren't Christians shouldn't try and mess with casting evil spirits out of people, because the sons of Sceva regretted it a lot. Now we'll be back to that story in a later talk. Right, now we move into the epistles and we go to 1 Corinthians. <coughs> 1 Corinthians and find chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 20. When you read the books and hear the teachers who do all the current demonology that has caught on in Christian circles today. Um, you know, I mean, the way they go on about it, you'd have thought, well, I mean, surely the epistles of Paul, I mean, must be chockers about demons and stuff like that. Because, I mean, after all, if, if demons are the cause of most of the problems that Christians have, and if the letters of Paul the Apostle were telling people how they can grow in the Lord and overcome you know, their problems, then obviously what well, we'd expect to see in the letters of Paul, loads and loads and loads about demons. Right, 
Let's see how much there is. Chapter 10 and verse 20. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now the context there is quite simply, Paul is talking about idolatry. And he's saying to the Corinthians, who were Greeks, they got converted out of idolatry, some of them were still doing idolatry. And what Paul is saying, look, behind idolatry is the power of demons, don't have anything to do with it, okay. Chapter 12, verse 10, and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and he simply says, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. So there he's talking about the gift of discernment. Okay, now go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. So you can see how much of Paul's writing we're missing out. Not a mention of demons or evil spirits. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, i.e. the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So there, Paul is simply warning the Christians that, you know, sort of as time goes by, you know, demons are going to be trying to deceive Christians at every point, and Paul warns them about it. And here he simply says deceitful spirits, all right? Now, believe it or not, we have just done every verse that Paul ever wrote with the word evil spirit or demon in it. So, so, so we, I think we must conclude Paul wasn't obsessed with demons like a lot of Bible teachers today, was he? Let's go to James. James chapter 2 and verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Fair enough. Demons, they're terrified of the Lord, obviously. Go to chapter 3, verse 15. This wisdom is not as such, such, I'll start again. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. So, there's a mention. That's all James has to say about demons. Right, let's go now to Revelation. Because it's the only book in the Bible left that mentions evil spirits or demons. Revelation, chapter 9. <coughs> Revelation, chapter 9, and verse 20. Now, obviously, Revelation from chapter 5 onwards, is talking about a time yet to come, the Great Tribulation. All right, so this is talking about future events. Chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot either see or hear or walk. 
So there you see, have it again, the idolatry. When someone worships an idol, they're actually worshipping demons. Demons are behind idols, as it were, receiving worship. Uh, Revelation chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 13 and 14. And I saw issuing from the mouth of the dragon and from the mouth of the beast and from the mouth of the false prophet. Uh, here, the dragon is Satan, um, the beast is the Antichrist, and the false prophet is the false prophet, right? <laughs> the mouth of the false prophet, three foul spirits, like frogs. So here, and evil spirits are called foul spirits, all right? Like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. All right, so there's a reference there to the evil spirits the demons empowering the Antichrist and the false prophet. Remember, the false prophet, that guy, he will work incredible miracles. He really will. Real Elijah stuff. But it's going to be because he's being empowered by evil spirits. And chapter 18. And this, believe it or not, is the very last one. Revelation chapter 18, verse 2. And... This is an angel pronouncing a kind of a judgment. And the angel called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit. Babylon, representative of man's world system without God, including his own kind of like religion. And here we have, you know, a dwelling place of demons and foul spirits. Okay. Now then, what we've just done is we've looked and covered every verse in the New Testament which mention spirit or spirits, as in evil spirits, or the word demon or demons. We have just covered every verse in the New Testament. And in our first talk, we covered at least 50% of the Old Testament verses. <coughs> so, in effect... I have now given you all the data there is to be had from the Bible about casting out evil spirits. Now, let's go back to our questions. Do you remember questions two and three? Question two was, do you have to find out the demon's name and use the demon's name to cast it out? And the third, third question was, Question three was, when casting demons out, are you meant to enter into two-way conversation? Now, I would say that the answer is quite clear from all the verses we've seen. It's no to each case. You don't find out. Where, where is the Bible telling us? We've got all the data. Where is this finding out what the demon's name is? Which means entering into a two-way conversation because you're asking it a question. A two-way conversation is when you say something in order to solicit a reply. However, if you're merely talking to an evil spirit, commanding it to leave, you're not in a two-way conversation. You're in a one-way conversation. You see? So then, have we seen, in order to cast demons out, finding out what their name is, getting in a two-way conversation and using that name to cast it out? I would say absolutely not. Now, let's go back to question one. 
the original one we're asking. Do demons have names? We've got all the data, let's start to put it together. From the very first talk, we had familiar spirit in the Old Testament, all right? The Jews would call a demon that was coming through someone pretending to be the spirit of, you know, sort of like Uncle George come back from the dead to talk to his relatives, all right? The, you know, the Jews called that a familiar spirit, and we looked at that, you know, the Hebrew word ov, and, you know, sort of like simply the word they used for a demon that, that would yak, yak, yak through a medium, and, and it was normally because the family were wanting to get in touch with the father, all right? And a family, familiar spirit, all right? Uh, so we got that, okay, a demon speaking through a medium. Uh, we saw a lying spirit. Yeah, that demon stepped forward. I will go down into the mouth of the false prophet and be a lying spirit. Okay. But surely with that, it's merely a description of what that demon was going to do. It wasn't a case of someone being demonized. Okay. Because what we're concerned with are cases when people have got demons and need demons casting out of them. That thing about the lying spirit, it was a spirit sent to speak through someone once only on a one-off occasion. It was speaking through an occultist anyway, and it was all in order to deceive someone who was under God's judgment. All right. So, a lying spirit, because the spirit went specifically to tell lies. So, Old Testament, familiar spirit, lying spirit, that's it. Now then, from the New Testament, let's go through the names that we've got, this, you know, what we've picked up. We've picked up evil spirit, unclean spirit, demon, foul spirit, but they're all synonymous terms. We've had a deaf and dumb spirit. We've seen a dumb spirit. I, deaf and dumb and dumb separate, all right? A spirit of infirmity, a spirit of divination, a la Python. We've seen deceitful spirits that Paul was warning about. But again, he wasn't there talking about spirits being in people. He was talking there just that demons will try and deceive you. All right. And we've seen, of course, legion. Now, let's go through this. Evil spirit, unclean spirit, foul spirit, simply synonymous terms. They are nouns, not names. That's simply what you call evil spirits. Like, I'm sitting on a chair. That's the name, all right? Uh, some people might call it a stall or something. I, I don't know. They're simply nouns for what a demon is. Now, let's go through. We've had deaf and dumb spirit. We've had a dumb spirit. And we've had a spirit of infirmity. Now, surely that is merely a description of the physical effects that those demons were having on those particular people. All right. The python spirit, or the spirit of divination, was simply referred to as that to describe that the demon she had was empowering her to see into the future. All right. It was simply describing what this demon enabled the girl to do by its power. It's purely descriptive. The same as deceitful spirits. When Paul says, in the last days, they're going to be deceitful spirits. It's merely descriptive. The spirits are going to be there to try and deceive you. Therefore, the Bible calls them deceiving spirits or deceitful spirits. Now, legion, and we're going to spend a bit of time on legion now. Legion was simply a Roman military term for a lot of soldiers. There wasn't a set number in a legion, but when you had a legion, you had an awful lot of soldiers, and it could have been up to a couple of thousand, all right. 
So with the case of Legion, we have there a, a bloke who had loads and loads of demons, but the demons called themselves Legion. Now, Legion is the one that has got to be puzzling you, and that is what we're going to move on to now. Because what we've got to ask is, is Legion an example of Jesus at least once using the Pharisaic method of finding out what the demon was called in order to cast it out? Let's go to Mark 5, and we'll go through Mark's account now of this. <coughs> Mark chapter 5, we'll start from verse 1. One thing to notice, the terms we've seen so far, like spirit of infirmity, the word of God used that term. Legion is what these spirits called themselves, so it's slightly different, isn't it? But let's start reading, okay, from verse 1. Uh, well, they came to the other side of the sea, blah, blah, blah. Let's go down... Um, to verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, this is clearly the demon speaking, isn't it? I mean, the bloke wouldn't have been saying that, all right? For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, let me say firstly that if this is Jesus using the Pharisaic method of finding out what the demon's name was, all right, then it is the only example, it is the one exception. But what I want to show you is that this isn't quite what it first appears. You see, you've got to remember that when you read this passage, most Christians are doing so with the idea already put in their mind that you have to find out the names of demons in order to cast them out. So that's what it looks like. But something completely different is happening here, and it's quite simply this. Let's look at verse 8. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, it's quite clear that the demons in verse 7 are saying, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That is clearly the demon speaking. And in verse 8, the demons are yelling that because Jesus had already said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So all that stuff the demons were yelling and screaming, Oh, don't torment us, blah, blah, blah. That's because Jesus is ordering them out of the man. Now, notice... In verse 8, what does Jesus call these demons? Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. That is what Jesus called the demons. And I mean, Jesus didn't even give a fig whether there was one or five thousand. Because he just said, you unclean spirit, although he acknowledges later on that there were loads and loads of them. It didn't bother, did you? you know, what does it matter how many there are? But here's the point. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he gets the reply, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, what's going on here? You've got a guy who's got a pretty bad case of demons, all right? And he's in a real state. Now, the Holy Spirit is working in him, and he's drawing him to Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. This guy wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be free. 
but he's got a pretty bad case of demonitis, as it were, all right? And they're yelling and screaming through him, and it's all got to be very traumatic. Jesus is commanding the things to get out of him, and they're yelling and screaming at Jesus, and they're whinging and, and, and all that sort of stuff through the bloke, all right? Now it's getting quite bad, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? He's asking the demoniac, what is your name? He's speaking now to the demoniac. When you cast demons out of people, if you get demons who are vocal, it can, you know, who are yelling and screaming, all right, at any moment you might be talking to the person, but at the next minute you're talking to the demons. Is he? Now, Jesus has just had the demons yelling and screaming out of this bloke. He's asking the bloke his name. What's your name, mate? Is it George or what? Huh? But it's the demons who answer. We are legion, we are legion, for we are many. Is he? Jesus isn't asking, oh, right, in order to get this demon out, all right, I'm going to ask it its name. What is your name, demon? Oh, our name is legion. Jesus had already addressed the evil spirit as an unclean spirit. Verse 8, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. That was the approach Jesus took. And then he said to the bloke, what's your name? Personal touch. But the demons yell back. Now, these demons were obviously uh, calling themselves legion. Now, the point is, so what? The fact that they called themselves legion was neither here nor there to Jesus. As far as he was concerned, they were unclean spirits, full stop. Now, if we go over into Luke, Luke chapter 8, I just want to show you uh, the rest of um, explaining this thing about the pigs. Because this is the one instance, the one instance in the Bible where someone casting out evil spirits gets into a conversation with them. But I want to show you again, this is unique. Luke 8 and verse 31. We get a little bit more detail now. Verse 31, and they, i.e. the demons in the bloke, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now we get more information here about what these demons are whinging about and about, you know, don't torment us. What they're saying is, you know, they're, they're terrified. You know, Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter, enter these. So he gave them leave. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now here, yeah, Jesus is in a two-way conversation with evil spirits. It's the only instance in the Bible when this happens. But I want you to realise the exceptional circumstance that is here. Jesus is casting these demons out of this bloke. The demons call themselves legions, so what? You know, I mean, it doesn't, you know, they could have called themselves a bus. What does it matter what demons call themselves? You know, Jesus took no notice of it. But what happens is, the demons, they beg Jesus not to send them to the abyss. Now, what's the abyss, the bottomless pit? It's Tartarus. Now, these demons, for the first time ever, they know that a whole load of their buddies are down in Tartarus, in chains, in prison. And they knew that this was Jesus. 
This wasn't just some man of God, this was God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Now, what was really putting the wind up these demons is that they knew full well that Jesus could have sent them down into Tartarus if he wanted to. Is he? And they were terrified of that. They didn't want to go into Tartarus. And they start whinging and begging and pleading that Jesus won't send them there. But here's the point. Jesus didn't intend to send them there anyway. It was just that, you know, can you see? So they're, oh, don't, don't send us to Tartarus, blah, blah, blah. Jesus didn't intend to. Because if he had intended to, he would have sent them there. He, they wouldn't have talked him out of it, you see. And in this process, what the demons do, they're so, they're so frightened, they're so whinging, they're so pathetic, begging Jesus not to send them to Tartarus, which Jesus didn't plan to do anyway. And the demons put a suggestion to him. Don't send us into Tartarus, not there. Into those pigs, that herd of pigs. Now, Jesus was always a fast thinker. You, you kind of get that as you read through the gospel. His mind worked very, very quickly. So he thought, oh yeah, that's right. So what Jesus did, the demons suggested that he sent them into this herd of pigs. And Jesus thought, that's a good idea. So Jesus made a point about Jews herding pork in contravention to the Mosaic law that they were supposedly so committed to, is he? So Jesus sent the demons into this herd of pigs. The herd of pigs then went bananas and ran over a cliff and they all died. So Jesus was killing two birds with one stone. Or was it a herd of pigs with a legion of demons, <coughs> is he? But what you've got here is quite simply, Jesus is casting these demons out of this demoniac, this man with so many demons, all right? The demons call themselves legion. But what demons call themselves is neither here nor there because demons are liars. I mean, yeah, there's no point listening to what demons say, all right? Jesus, having the demons yelling and screaming through this demoniac, Jesus asks the demoniac his name. What is your name? The bloke. But the demons yell through, we're legion, we're legion, you see, and stuff. That's all it was. It wasn't Jesus trying to find out the demon's name. He'd already called them by the name he, he used, you unclean spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, the demons, with the wind up them about going down into Tartarus, put a proposition to Jesus, send us into the herd of pigs instead. Now, Jesus was never going to send them to Tartarus. He didn't want to. Could have done if he wanted to, but he obviously didn't. So he thought, yeah, herd of pigs. Yeah, my people herding pigs while they claim to be under the Mosaic law. So he sends the demons into the herd of pigs to prove a point to the Jews as well. Can you see? So that is simply what is happening there. It is not an instance at all of Jesus using the Judaistic method of casting demons out. Jesus was simply asking a bloke his name, but the demons spoke back with the name that they had decided they wanted to use for themselves. They called themselves Legion because there were so many of them. Um, fine, no problem. Now then, let's go back to our questions. Do demons have names? Now, what we've established, if they have names like Beresford and Robert and Terry, all right, if they do, we're not told, so we can't establish that. Personal names, all right? But they are described to a very, very small extent in the Bible, and it is a tiny, tiny extent, they are described by what they do and the effects that they have on people. Now, in that regard, we have simply this. 
we have reference to a deaf and dumb spirit. We have reference to a dumb spirit. We have reference to a spirit of infirmity. Now, the important thing is, the reasons I've picked these out, these are what the Word of God calls them. Legion dismissed because that's what demons were saying about themselves. We're not interested in what demons say about themselves. But deaf and dumb spirit, dumb spirit, spirit of infirmity, that is what the Word of God calls them, all right? We've got the spirit of divination or, you know, kind of um, python. And we've got deceitful spirits, though the deceitful spirits that Paul referred to wasn't in the context of deceitful spirits being in people, but he was warning Christians against being deceived by what deceitful spirits are up to with false teaching. Okay. Now, what that gives us is simply, let's look at the scores. We're asking, is it demons of this, that and the other? All right? Right, the score so far, the Word of God, five, Bill Subritsky, 300 plus. Now, do you get the point? I.e., that when you get these references of death and a dumb spirit, but it's simply that spirit was causing the person to be deaf and dumb. You see? That spirit might have had a totally different effect on someone else. We just don't know. But a spirit of divination was simply in that particular girl, that demon, the effect it was having on her is that it was enabling her to foretell the future. It was called a spirit of divination. All right, it's as simple as that. But... When you get onto, as we saw last time, spirits of murder, lust, anger, inferiority, unclean thoughts, you name it, we saw there was a demon to fit any bill. Well, then you really are talking absolute bunker. Because when people talk about spirits of murder, lust, anger, blah, 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 whatever, What they're meaning by it is that there are demons in people making them do those things. And like a demon of lust will make you lust. That's it. Well, boom, that's what a demon of lust does, isn't it? But in our list, we haven't got any demons that are to do with moral sin, have we? Can you see? Deaf and dumb spirit, spirit of infirmity. Can you see what a totally different kettle of fish it is to demons of murder, lust, anger, unclean thoughts, heresy, blah, blah, blah. It's absolutely crazy. So then, when you get all these demons of this, that and the other, and someone's demonised, which spirits are they? It doesn't matter which spirits they are. And the point is, even saying which spirits are they, a spirit might affect one person in one way, another person another way. So they're not actually spirits of anything at all. If someone's got evil spirits, we kick them out. Period. Not this trying to find out names, etc., etc. So, do demons have names? No. In the way that current teaching goes about this whole subject, the answer is definitely not. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit a truth. But it's not his name. He's the Holy Spirit. It's simply, it's one aspect of him. You know, but I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit of truth, boom, boom, that's all there is to him. And every time the Bible talks about that, it's the Holy Spirit of truth. It's one aspect of him. He's simply the Holy Spirit. So an aspect of a demon might be that it makes someone dumb. Well, fine, to that extent, dumb spirit, but it's an evil spirit. No more, no less. 
So the way in which these, these demons of this, that and the other and these hundreds and hundreds of names all categorised into different little clusters with their chief little demons, their Jezebels and stuff like that. Are we seeing this here? Have we seen Jezebel? Have we come up against Jezebel spirit? You know, the spirit of death and Hades? Absolutely not. All that is sheer bunkum. But this I will say, evil spirits love it. Is one of the things that you noticed as we went through that is that the evil spirits wanted to spout more than the people casting them out wanted them to? Far from trying to keep conversations going, you get in the Bible people telling the spirit to shut up and forbidding it to speak. You see? Totally different. So, are we meant to get into two-way conversations? Absolutely not. But the evil spirits love it. And they will tell you whatever gets you going. If them calling themselves a spirit of something is going to get you going and jumping up and down with glee, they'll tell you it. Because they want to detract you from the word of God. They want to deceive you in any way you can. So remember, the Bible doesn't teach all these spirits of this, that and the other and all the lists and spirits of lust, murder, blah, blah, blah. But the evil spirits love it. And if, if saying, my name's murder, is going to get some kind of reaction out of you, they'll say it. They'll say it. So don't be fooled. So second question, do demons have names? Was the first question in the way that people teach it today, no. Do we find out their names and use them? Well, no, obviously not. They don't have those names. So how can you find them out and use those names in casting them out? Um, we simply saw that, by and large, when Jesus and the disciples cast out evil spirits, in every instance except one, <coughs> and we'll look at that in one moment, in every instance but one, as they addressed the evil spirits in order to cast them out, they simply used the synonymous words of you evil spirit, you unclean spirit, you demon. All right? Now, there's only one exception to that. Just go back into Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And this is the only occasion when anyone, be it Jesus or the disciples or whatever, this is the only occasion when someone casting a demon out used a, a kind of a name other than simply unclean spirit or demon or evil spirit. And it's Mark chapter 9, verse 25. Mark chapter 9, verse 25. And uh, it's, the, uh, it's Mark's account of the father with the boy who the demon was making him have fits and that, and the disciples couldn't help, all right? And it gives us a little bit more information that the other um, account of it didn't, all right? And in verse 25, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This is the only occasion. It was quite clear, this spirit, the effect it was having on this boy is that he was dumb, he couldn't speak, and he was deaf, he couldn't hear. So in this instant, Jesus said, you dumb and deaf spirit, get out. The reason, as we'll see in a later talk, that he forbade the spirit to come back, which is the only instance this ever happens, is because it was a child. Right. But we'll be on to that in a later study. But 
this is one instance where Jesus said, you deaf and dumb spirit. And it was obvious. You don't need to discern that. If, you know, I mean, the dad is, is, is saying, look, you know, my son's got an evil spirit. He has these fits, blah, blah, blah. And doubtless the dad has said, and he's dumb and he's deaf as well. We're going to see it was precisely because it was this sort of spirit that the uh, disciples couldn't cast it out. And we'll see that in a later talk why it was they couldn't as well. Um, you know, so, so here Jesus says the obvious, you know, you dumb and deaf spirit, get out. It's not kind of like establishing the demon's name. In it. It's just a statement of fact. That was clearly the effect this evil spirit had. But that is, and I repeat, the only time in the Bible when any other name other than you unclean spirit or you evil spirit is used. It's just the one example, all right? Question number three, do we have any two-way conversation with evil spirits at all? Now, the only example we saw in the Bible was legion, but we saw their extenuating circumstances simply because they said, Jesus, don't send us to Tarsha, send us into the pigs, all right? Outside of that one exceptional example, exceptional because it was Jesus himself, and he could have sent the demons to Tartarus, and they were frightened of going, and came up with an alternative suggestion, all right? But apart from that one example, there is nothing in the Bible to suggest that when casting evil spirits out, Jesus or the disciples ever got into a two-way dialogue with demons. They simply commanded them to go, period. They weren't the slightest bit interested in anything a demon might have to say. They didn't respond in any way to anything that a demon might say. And when you think about it, that is the obvious thing, isn't it? You see, if a demon speaks, as they will sometimes when you're casting demons out, the demons will say things. And it's like one said to me once, you know, well, I, I don't believe in God, so I'm not going. Well, fine. What does it matter that a demon said that? It went. That's the main thing. All right? But I didn't get into a theological argument with it, is he? Now the point is demons may speak when you're casting them out. Now then, here's the thing. Whatever they say, you have got no way of knowing whether it's the truth or not. Can you see, because demons are liars. They may, you know, I mean, get to, I've been here for seven years, I'm not going. Well, are you going to believe that it's been there for seven years because the demon says it's been there for seven years? Can you see? There's nothing of this in the Bible. They just ignored what demons said. Didn't take the slightest bit of notice because they knew that demons will deceive. They lie. They're mercenary. They'll speak the truth if it suits them. They'll lie if it suits them. But whether a demon is speaking the truth or telling a lie, and there's no way for us to know which in any one instance, so what? shut them up and kick them out. That's what you get in the Bible. Jesus forbade them to speak. Shut them up and kick them out. That's all. All right. Now, what we're going to move on to in two talks' time will be the first of three talks on actual deliverance ministry. How do you shut them up? How do you kick them out? All right. But before that, next time, what we're going to look at is this whole thing about being possessed by evil spirits. Because as you'll notice, in my version, a lot of the verses spoke about people who were possessed by evil spirits. So we're going to look at what possession means, and we're going to ask whether or not being possessed by evil spirits is a biblical notion, or whether it's a false notion. And that is what we will move on to next time.